Listen for the word of the Lord. I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I'm under until it's completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to this earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. So from now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three, they will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and it happens. And when you see the wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, isn't that a lovely scripture lesson? It makes you want to just run out and say, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? I mean, in a few short verses, Jesus has broken the toes of parishioners, politicians, preachers, children, youth, adults, parents, grandparents, mamas, daddies, all of us. I've been praying all week that our visitors will come back next week if they're not run off by such talk of division from Jesus. Seriously, come back next week. Dr. Borders and I have, we've been chatting this week about the Children's Minute and this text. He did a splendid job as Reverend Dr. Mr. Rogers Jason Borders always does. But imagine planning for all of this, the themes around which are fire, judgment, and family dysfunction. It's the perfect three-point children's lesson, don't you think? (laughs) So we had some ideas. They didn't make it out here with the syringe and all, but we thought about asking the children to name uh, one fight, one thing their parents are crossed up about, and then giving them an open mic. What do you think? We should do that? I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it. Or as Jason asked each week, has anyone told you today that Jesus loves you? To which he would reply, well, he does, but he also wants to rip you apart from your favorite people. Now go to children's church, right? I mean, that's the text. Churches all over the world are reading this gospel lesson today. And I can only imagine the tension is as high as it is in here. It's like the person behind us is placing a hand on our our shoulder and we want to brush it away. It's just weird. It's uncomfortable. It's troubling. And so it raises this question, does Jesus come to bring peace or division? And being good United Methodist, the answer is what? Yes. (laughs) So how do we square this text about division and fire and judgment with what we read from Isaiah, for example? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of what, church? Peace. Yeah. How do we hold those two things together? Because today's reading is, is more like Julia Howe's battle hymn of the Republic, he has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Glory, glory, you know. There's like a pregame 
pep talk. We're about to run out onto the field under the lights. Forget about all the, the peace stuff. Bring the fire. How do we reconcile the Prince of Peace with this text of division? So I've been thinking through this question all week that Jesus asked, do you think that I've come to bring peace? And he answers by saying, no, I've come to bring division. And I've prayed a simple two-word prayer all week long. Really, Jesus? You've come to bring division for families. That's the good news that this world needs to hear. This, this world and, and, and our people who are already so divided. I mean, honestly, why even bother with the question? Because we do a good enough job dividing ourselves as it is. We don't need Jesus in this particular arena, do we? I mean, if division is part of moving on to perfection, we must be pretty close. We've figured out how to divide ourselves, haven't we? I thought a lot, I prayed a lot about our, our schools. Some of our schools have started this past week. Our college students are back on campus this weekend. They're going through the, the grind of sororities and fraternities and band camps and other schools start this coming week. And I, it's just a wonderful, wonderful season. And I love seeing all the Facebook posts, you know, day one at school and, and you have new uniforms and all this kind of stuff. But I've also been praying a lot been praying really hard uh, thinking about this text because I also know that as our students, our children, our youth enter, enter into this arenas of school, this brand new world is opening up to them, but they're going to be looked at based on what they're wearing and their athleticism, their grades, their dialect, their walk, how, you know, their gait. I mean, they're going to just be looked at for, for all different kinds of things, and they're just divided. Why do we do that? We, we divide ourselves along so many different labels and lines. For all the grown-ups in the room, we're, we're not much different. You have uh, said as much this week uh, through the survey that I've sent. Now, I sent a survey last week about worry. This week, it was about division. Uh, we'll be working the next couple of weeks around surveys, so please continue uh, to fill those out. They're, they're resourcing my ministry greatly. But the question was, the first question was, why is there so much division in the world? Why is there so much division in the world today? And I'm telling you now that this coming week, the survey is going to have to be like multiple choice because you have really poured your heart out in the survey this past week. I have read and read and read and read. And as soon as I said that in the early service, I got another email that somebody was replying to the survey in that moment. What I've heard on your hearts and your minds this week is something that's honest it's things with which you, you wrestle. And the reason you said there's so much division in this world is, one, that there's no different uh, reason than there has been throughout human history. And it's very simply put, we love ourselves more than we love others. So many of you said, we're just too selfish. Or there's so much division because we're unwilling to listen to anyone whose opinion is slightly different or vastly different from our own. A lot of you said that. There's no space for difference of opinions anymore. Uh, some of you said everyone's opinion is the right opinion and there's no room for dialogue. We wish we had more spaces and opportunities to listen to one another. And then I guess the most common reason for division that 
that the most people said is we listen to our news outlets and our social media posts rather than listening to God and to our Bibles and to the faith community. Around 90% of our responses mentioned news outlets and social media as, as fuel that promulgate division. And so what I want to say as a sidebar, as your pastor is, you know the best way to eliminate that chaos and that division and that anxiety and anger in your life if it's coming from social media and from news. You know the best way to, to eliminate that in your life? Stop watching it. Stop allowing it to rule your life, to be your God, to be your treasure to be your food every day. Stop allowing those sources, if, if it's causing that much angst, and you've shared that with me, and, and now it's turned into this opportunity to pray for you and with you, but just remove that, fast from that. Somehow, despite our award-winning abilities to divide ourselves from one another without any help from Jesus, we're nevertheless invited to find some good news in this text today. And the place I want to spend just a few minutes is that the backdrop of this text has to do with family dynamics of all things. Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, in-laws, in-laws, they're all, all divided. Jesus says that, and I wonder, I've been wondering like why Jesus spends so much time talking about families. And one thing I love about that is if we think about all the divisions in the world and you express some of those in your feedback to me, I have a lot more influence over family dynamics and relationships than I ever will. Global, national, denominational politics about which I can do nothing. But I can sit in the trenches when it comes to family denomination, family lines and family relationships. And I wonder why I mentioned that. Like, why not just say, Jesus, you know, Jesus, why not just say, I've come to bring division. It's, I'm going to divide you from strangers, people you'll never meet, you'll never know. Well, there's no shock value in that. But there's something about the nature of following Jesus Christ that is going to divide us from the ones we love. And that's hard to hear. It's tough to sit with that. Come to think of it, Jesus might be using family dynamics because his family situation on earth was... Well, it was quite interesting in and of itself, wasn't it? Do you remember the story uh, when Jesus was about uh, eight days old? They took him to Simeon, they took him to the temple, and uh, Simeon made this incredible statement about this newly born child. He said, this child, Mary and Joseph, will lead to the rising and the falling of Israel, and there will be opposition to him as the minds of people are revealed, and his own side, his own soul will be pierced. Now, I mean, just imagine going to your doctor, delivering a newborn child. We have a newborn child. I mean, just imagine the doctor handing it back saying, your child is going to cause division in this world. Good luck. <laughs> and then Mary and Joseph, I mean, we know before Jesus was even born that their story was, was framed. It was, it was liked and shared in a negative way. Can you believe this couple? What are they thinking? Why doesn't Joseph just leave her? I mean, it, it had its challenges before Jesus even came into the world, right? Early on in Jesus' ministry, he, he was crossed up with his mom who wanted him to perform this miracle at a wedding. And he said, Mom, my time hasn't come. And there's just like this internal strife. James and Jude were the half-brothers of Jesus. Uh, we believe that they didn't even 
believe in Jesus as the Messiah until after the resurrection, that had to have complicated Jesus's ministry in this world. And there were two other occasions, one where Jesus was asked who his family is, and his mom and his brothers were sitting right there. He said, that, they're not my family. What? No, my family are all of the ones that you're trying to keep out. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the outcasts. That's, that's my family. I mean, you talk about crashing some cultural family, family lines. And, and there's that one guy who says, Lord, I'll follow you but I need you to let me bury my father first, to which Jesus replied, what? Let the dead bury the dead. Golly, why so harsh? And so there's this theme that emerges that anyone who leaves a family to follow Jesus Christ is blessed, but who is so bold to do such a thing? That's just one way to think about this text, and I'm gonna spend some time there. You also mentioned that this text can be about believers and unbelievers and wheat and, and chaff and, you know, all of these different dynamics that are, that are going on in the world, this marked distinction between sinfulness and those who are in the light of Christ. All of that is, is in play, and we'll get to that. We're heartbroken, and we're angry, and we're stressed about so much division, even when the church is called to be set apart. I mean, there's a separateness there. So what... What gives? There's just so much tension with this text. One of the survey, the third survey question asked said, uh, why did Jesus say he came to bring division and not peace? To which one of you replied, I have no idea. I'm hoping you'll tell me on Sunday. <laughs> now, see, the survey was designed for you to tell me so that I can turn around and tell you. That, that's the sneaky part about it. What I believe is happening in all of this divisive family talk is that Jesus is saying something about a radically new kind of identity that will come from following him. Because in a, in a culture that prides itself on bootstrap pulling and ladder climbing and backbreaking individualism, this text can sound so foreign when we start thinking about the family to whom we belong. And it can be troubling, but in Jesus's time, family identity was solely framed and solely caught up in family identity. For example, Paul was a, a, a tent maker, you know, it's likely that he came from a line of tent makers. Field laborers had sons, they were field laborers. Carpenters who had sons, they went on to become not messiahs, so he's breaking down this, these family, chipping away at these family dynamics a little bit at a time. And, and the women of the time, unfortunately, in the patriarchal society uh, that the Bible was written, women were considered property. So if they had daughters, they just followed on in line and were property. And so Jesus comes along and he calls female disciples and the first preachers to the good news of resurrection were, was female preachers. And all of a sudden he's chipping away, he's chipping away at at all these cultural familial norms because see your identity was determined by whose child you were hmm. is our identity determined by whose child we are maybe we're getting closer to the good news of this text because no longer was a person's identity bound up in an earthly family, 
but in a community of faith and in an eternal family. Identity does not come from bloodlines, but from bloody lines on the back of a Messiah who has set his face toward Jerusalem by this point in Luke's narrative. And he said, you're either with me or you're not. And if you're not, I'm going to the cross for you nevertheless. But he's saying in this moment, I'm standing here, the shadow of the cross is beginning to lengthen like a red carpet welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem at this point in the gospel. And he's got to be locked in and committed and he needs people to go with him. And we know as we get uh, near the passion of Christ, uh, he'll be betrayed. We know this story, but completely abandoned and left alone. If we're willing to follow Jesus as radically as we say we are, it's going to divide us from the ways of this world. And that's good news. It's going to divide us, though, in ways that, that actually shake us up. Because if there's any message that the cross conveys to us, it's that violence is not the way. Peace is the way. And the cross has absorbed it. If the cross tells us anything, it's that it overthrows loyalties to national politics by proving that the government truly is on his shoulder the cross tells us over and over again about forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. While the world, all the while, eye for an eye, man, tooth for a tooth, it's got to be retribution. The cross is that which says no matter what you have done in your life, there's a way out and a way up and a second chance, even if your family and your friends will want to keep you held down, drag you into the street, drag you into social media. Jesus says no more. Your story is now going to be used for God's glory. And that's so countercultural. It's so shocking that it cost him his life. And all he asks is that we be committed enough, daring enough to lose something about ourselves, to set it aside, whatever that means for you, something in your mind, something in your heart, something in your past, something in your present, fears about the future, lay it all aside and stand in the middle while the storm rages. And let's keep moving. Let's keep taking steps forward. In our human family, there's... We make room for jealousy and greed and unworthiness and abuse and neglect, all these different things that are so painful and so labeling and so divisive. But an identity change where one is now a child of God. We become fully loved for who we are, exactly as we are. No more pretension, no more competition, we are fully loved by God, even though we are fully known by God. The truth is that we're being changed. We're being changed like fire changes precious metals. Jesus starts this text by saying, I am bringing fire. Whew. The Old Testament lesson today, the one that our children were reading at Children's Church, it was about fire too. It was about Elijah and the prophets, you know, the prophet was calling down the fire to get rid of the idols of Baal. <laughs> Lots of fire in today's reading. We'd rather be singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. 
But the truth is, this fire about which Jesus talks, it's not the destructive kind of fire. It's not the kind of fire that comes down to destroy. It's the kind of fire that refines, and there's a difference. If you've worked uh, metallurgy, if you've worked around precious metals, then you know that if you get a blue flame going, it gets hot enough and it, it melts a, a particular metal, that the impurities rise to the top and you can skim them off of the top and then you have this wonderfully pure and authentic metal with which to work. When we give our life to the Holy Spirit to be engulfed by the fire of the Spirit, we're giving ourselves to this process that's changing us from the inside out. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had to figure that out too. To be the smartest man that Oxford had ever seen, the, the son of a preacher, to be as savvy as he was with community relations, he, was, he just felt lost in his soul and, and until he finally had this moment. It's Aldersgate moment. You know what it is. His heart was strangely, what? Warm. Yeah, warm. But then that warmth begins to glow and it begins to burn from the inside out. And before you know it, he's leading this revivalistic movement that's going to lead to a whole other continent. And here we are as a people called Methodist because the fire came into one human being's life and says, I'll stand with you no matter what the world says around me. The division of which Jesus speaks is good news because it's founded in this refining process that's working to get the impurities out of our life and off to the surface. That's what I consider judgment. Get those impurities out so there's a better substance left with which to work. And it's this redeeming love that dares believe as those impurities are coming out. We start believing, I really am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. There really is no end to God's love. And that division, I guess it starts within. We start saying, maybe I do need to put on the mind of Christ and stop having so much of a mind or an opinion of my own and just start listening. Like Jesus did, I don't know if you caught this in the text, but he said, I am so stressed out about this. Did you hear that? A stressed Messiah. That's the last thing the world needs is a stressed out Messiah, right? It should stress us out too. This tension, this text, by the way, as I was talking to uh, Jason uh, at halftime, as we call it, it's text is like an airplane that, that takes off, but it can't land because its landing gear is stuck. Now don't worry too much. We're going to finish the sermon here in just a minute. But the text just kind of leaves us up there. What do we do? We just keep flying and living with it for a little bit. But distress is good news when we realize that following Jesus Christ has the power to divide us from our old selves. And following Jesus Christ will divide us from everything in this world that's trying to divide us. Because God's love, and it was so vast and so wide that it caused him to send his son. It upsets those who want to say, God's love is only this big and can only fit right here, and I'm just going to place it right here. That's, that's my understanding of, of God's love. And that's complicated because the strange thing about following Jesus, the tension in which we find ourselves, is that we decide, we give our lives to this process of living a particular way, of being changed 
of allowing sin to come out of our lives, but also understanding that the wideness of God's love has no bounds, and sometimes the world tells us those, you can't have both. And there's tension and division because the people of God are willing to live in this kind of middle way. I thought about that image a lot. I thought about how there were three crosses on Calvary and Jesus was, well, in the middle. Always in the middle. Trying to figure it out. Butting into the state, butting into the church, butting into the sinners, butting into the saints, and just standing there in the moment. Even a stormy sea, the man is just there and calm and... Fred Craddock, I'll end with this. He was a renowned homiletics professor at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, where all of your pastors were trained. And Fred Craddock wrote something so poignant about these words of Jesus today. Craddock said, Jesus is the crisis of the world. Man, I've just been sitting with that. Because like the last thing this world and this country and... (laughs) last thing we need is another crisis. Jesus is the crisis that we need, though. Not, to Craddock's point, in the sense of emergency, but in the sense of urgency. That God is trying to change human hearts and communities through grace. And so we say Jesus is resurrection and life, and Jesus is bread, and Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the crisis of life. Yes, the one who comes to divide is the precise crisis we need because he needs the afflicted to be comfortable and the comforted to be afflicted. He needs truth spoken to power. He needs Christians to move from complacency to adjacency with the world's needs, beginning in our own zip codes. Jesus needs holiness of heart and life as the first church received it at Pentecost and and as the people called Methodists received it in the 18th century. Jesus is the crisis we need because status quo might be another way of telling Jesus no. The crisis brings fire. The fire that we need, maybe not the fire that we want. My brothers and sisters, I think to overcome the divisions in this world, and I don't have all of the answers, but I know through the power of the Holy Spirit and our connection as a family, we can take steps forward. To overcome the divisions of this world, we have to allow Jesus to cause division within our worlds, our head, our hearts, and our hands. Change us here, Lord. Just yesterday, as I was just praying through the last little bit of this and reading some more of your email surveys uh, that you were sending in, I hadn't expected being so surprised by the the tower chimes that were going off. And at the five o'clock chiming and the pealing, they then went into a hymn. Let there be peace on earth. You know that song? 
How does it end? And let it begin with me. Let it begin with us, no matter the cost, no matter the loss. Amen.